are entering the Freedom Hut. Ten suspicious packages have been sent to major Democrats, but are they real bombs or is something else going on here? We'll address that, plus the way that the left is already blaming Trump while pretending not to for the mayhem surrounding these packages. Plus, we'll talk about the hot water that Michael Avenatti, Julie Swetnick may be in, and also Megyn Kelly out from NBC. What lessons do we have from that? Coming up on Buck Sexton Show. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. They are protesting. They are not an angry mob. We're subhuman. We're done being polite. You're not going to use the mob word here. But calling them mobs in in the way that the leader McConnell has done is just wrong. We believe in Excuse me, ma'am. Are you trying to assault me? This is assault. Yes, Sarah. The angry mob, the angry mob, the angry mob, even though these were just peaceful protesters. Republicans are are running on this idea that the left is an angry mob. Mob like. Clearly it was the Republicans. The president is trying to go too far with some of this rhetoric, you know, this talk of uh, mob rule and so on. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brooke, have you have you been to a Trump rally? Rushing to the top of the steps of the Supreme Court and now besieging uh, the front door of the Supreme Court. Go watch it. Put up the a video. Mob stop. Stop. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Ah, yes. The left laid bare for all of us to see. That's what's happened over the last 18 months, the Trump presidency, uh, but particularly the last, oh, I'd say three or four. It has been bad. They've gone from claiming that immigrations and customs enforcement, a federal agency that is tasked with immigration law enforcement, should be abolished to the most grotesque, underhanded character assassination campaign imaginable with Kavanaugh, to chasing Ted Cruz and Sarah Sanders and Mitch McConnell and so many others, I can't even remember it, out of restaurants, screaming, yelling epithets, intimidating, menacing them, to having their entire left-wing Democrat media apparatus cheering on much of this behavior, turning a blind eye to the more Antifa-like aspects of it when they're actually just punching people and destroying property, breaking the law outright. And now they want to lecture us all about the political temperature in this country. Now they want to talk about incitement and who's being irresponsible with their words. They really just need to shut the heck up. They really do. I don't need to hear it from the left. I don't want to. In fact, I refuse to hear it from the left. They have thrown nothing but one long, vicious tantrum since Trump was elected. They have called all of Trump supporters racists. They have said that we are destroying the country. They have said that President Trump himself is guilty of treason. They've concocted this 
preposterous, phony Russia collusion theory and had this grinding, bureaucratic nightmare of an investigation going on merely to target their political enemies. That's the whole purpose of it. They now have mobs in the streets, mobs on the Supreme Court steps, mobs on Capitol Hill in the in the halls of Congress. They pretend that they're not mobs. And then when there is finally the first time that they think they have an opening to wag a finger at the other side over incivility, which, remember, wouldn't be the incivility of a mob. It wouldn't be the incivility of an entire movement. It would just be maybe one wacko who is sending what increasingly looks like dud bombs to very, very prominent Democrats and leftists. And they want to lecture all of us. And they claim that they're not doing it, which just goes to show you how much gaslighting goes on in our conversations with the left. I I will give you examples of this. We will spend a bit of our time this hour working through just how dishonest the left is being with all of this, just how delusional they really are. But I did want to spend a moment with you first on what we what we now know about uh, about these bombs. In fact, I could have an assist here from the attorney general, my buddy, Jeff Sessions. Play clip eight, please. This department is responding to the suspicious packages that have been sent to several political leaders and a media outlet in the last last few days. Yesterday, I spoke with FBI Director Chris Wray and and Deputy Director Dave Bowditch, and we met with and briefed the president to bring him up to date. FBI, ATF are working on this. Across the administration, we condemn the actions that led uh, to uh, these these activities in the strongest possible uh, terms and are determined to make sure that we get to the bottom of it and justice is done. They will find who is responsible for this. I'm very confident of that. I don't know how quickly, though, and I don't know if it will be in time for us to make a fully informed decision us being the american people you and i already know this doesn't it doesn't affect my vote doesn't affect my feeling about trump or the republican party or anything else this has nothing to do with public safety threat this is one very very stupid and uh and egregious and evil jerk i wanted to use another word but we were on radio uh, who is going to spend the rest of his life in prison It's just a question of how soon we put him through that process. But the dud bombs that have been found so far, could they have gone off? Could they have detonated under any circumstances? There was a press conference today with the NYPD. In fact, one of my uh, some of my former colleagues were named in the press conference. I had a bit of nostalgia. But they talked about how the bombs that haven't gone off, they kept getting asked the question by the press. Are they real bombs? Are they real bombs? Now, the NYPD is going to have to say you have to treat these as real threats, because just imagine for a moment that the largest police department of the country says, no, these are these are duds. And then the next suspicious package that goes out, whether it's by the same person or not, but looks similar person opens it up and goes, well, I know it's a dud. And then we have a tragedy. Someone loses limbs, sight, maybe dies from one of these pipe bombs. Uh, The NYPD can't take that risk, not yet. Can't say that these bombs wouldn't have gone off under any circumstances, but I'm here to tell you that I think 
that is increasingly likely to be the case. And if that is, in fact, what's going on here, let's just take a step back. I know I'm not supposed to say that. I know I'm not supposed to go there. But then again, I actually professionally did this on like 90% of the clowns going on MSNBC and CNN to talk about it. And in the past, when they've tried to tell me at those places what is and is not real when it comes to terrorism, uh, they have tended to get buck slapped rather hard. Here's what I see. If you were trying to come up with a means to change the entire national conversation away from Kavanaugh, which was toxic for Democrats in red states and and, and states where Democrats were struggling, the Kavanaugh debacle, self-inflicted wound was toxic. And the caravan making its way up through Mexico, the far left activist wing of the Democratic Party loves this story, uh, but the people in places like Indiana and Tennessee and Nevada who are figuring out who to vote for, guess what? They don't much like the idea that the Democrat Party is effectively an open borders party, privileges certain people from certain places of the world getting around the rest of the immigration system because it benefits the Democrats' electoral prospects. They don't like that. And so if you wanted to switch that narrative, if that was the purpose, it has been masterfully achieved here. Now, is it in fact possible? Some would even say probable. I'm, I'm not quite there yet. I need, I need more evidence. Is it possible or probable that this is one incredibly stupid, reckless, and, uh, and really doing whatever side he thinks he's on, doing tremendous damage to it? Is it possible that this is somebody who wears a MAGA hat and, and loves Trump so much that he thought that the way to the way to show his support was to you know violate hundreds of federal statutes, threaten people, terrify people, and in the process put himself in a surefire uh, position to be spending the rest of his life in federal prison? Is that possible? Absolutely that's possible. I'm not discounting that at all. We may find out that that is the case. However, am I willing to discount? Am I willing to push aside that if this was, in fact, somebody whose purpose was to change the conversation right before the midterms, I don't think anybody believes this is a coincidence in terms of the timing. If the purpose was to, was to push aside conversations that were damaging for the Democrats and in the process make the anti-Trump media seem sympathetic and give them something to talk about that might sway some moderates to their side just in time for the election, Would this be a successful strategy? Yes, I am talking about a false flag strategy. I'm not saying it happened. I'm saying, would these things all be true if this were a false flag? The answer is obviously yes. So that's why I'm unwilling to just discount this out of hand. That's why I I refuse to take the position that, well, because the left has already started not just to blame the right for this, but to blame the president of the United States for this. That's where I think we have to draw a very hard and fast line. The Democrats have created, not alone, but primarily, predominantly, they have created this vicious, toxic political environment. They have never thought for one moment there was anything decent or acceptable about Trump, 
They've wanted to remove him from office. I even had an author on impeachment on my sh- on my TV show earlier in the week who said, yeah, this is the first time ever that there's been impeachment talk for a president who had not even been sworn in. They have a mass delusion problem. They are having a collective nervous breakdown in slow motion over Trump and his movement. And that's why things have become so tense and so nasty and so vicious. So would one individual change that dynamic? No. We will hold our final conclusions until we have more evidence. But in the meantime, I'm leaving open all reasonable options. And some that the Democrats want to shut down are a long way from deserving that. Got a jam-packed show. We're going to talk about a lot that's not just the bombs today, by the way. So uh, I I want you to be sure you stick around. We'll talk about Megyn Kelly ousted from NBC. Uh, What that tells us about the culture right now, by the way, I don't really have all that much to say about NBC. Avenatti and Swetnick referred to DOJ for possible conspiracy to lie around the Kavanaugh thing. We got a lot, a lot of stuff to get to. So we'll be right back. I don't want the folks created the mess, do a lot of talking. I want them just to get out of the way so we can clean up the mess. I need you to go out and talk to your friends and talk to your neighbors. I want you to talk to them whether they're independent or whether they are Republican. I want you to argue with them and get in their face. If you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. You know, when they go low, we go high. No. No. When they go low, we kick them. I will be happy to see the Republicans test uh, whether or not uh, I'm itching for a fight on a whole range of issues. Uh, I suspect they will find I am. We talked to these folks because they potentially had the best answers, so I know who's asked to kick. Some pretty tough rhetoric there from a bunch of different Democrats. Now, I don't want to be the word police, but I just would note that they're the ones who were calling for civility, and they act like the Republicans are the ones who are always saying things that are that are so rough. They're straight up saying that this is Trump's fault, by the way. They've jumped over... They've gone beyond saying that the perpetrator is likely a conservative based on the targets to saying that this is Trump's Trump's fault, uh, despite the fact that the president has already come out and condemned this whole thing. Play clip 10. No nation can succeed that tolerates violence or the threat of violence as a method of political intimidation, coercion or control. We all know that there is one way to settle our disagreements. It's called peacefully at the ballot box. The media also has a responsibility to set a civil tone and to stop the endless hostility and constant negative and oftentimes false attacks and stories. Now, I, I, I think that the president should be completely allowed to say that. But that I think, you know, some of the statements that he's made have set the media off even more because they, they think that they're in charge. And they have the power to just construct a narrative here. They think that they're allowed to just say the president is the reason this is happening. And everyone has to say, you know what? You're right. The media 
has spoken. That's the way it's going to be. They they like the John Brennan version of events. Play six. Unfortunately, I think Donald Trump too often has helped to incite uh, some of these feelings of, of anger, if not violence, um, when he points to acts of violence or also talks about, you know, uh, swinging at somebody uh, from the press or the media. I'm hoping that this is going to make it clear to him that what he has done heretofore, as far as a lot of this rhetoric, really is counterproductive. It is un-American. It is un-American, says the guy who was a senior intelligence officer who, without any evidence, has accused, publicly accused the sitting president of the United States of treason, which, as we know, is not just a crime that is uh, proscribed via the Constitution itself, but is punishable under U.S. federal code by the death penalty. Uh, So one would think that John Brennan is not exactly the best person to be carrying the torch of civility now. But then again, one would uh, be mistaken if one thought that the left had any decency or any honesty to deal with here. Philippe Reigns is making a name for himself, being the craziest of all. Play clip seven. This is someone who has weaponized Trump's Twitter feed and made it into a hit list. What we've seen to date is someone who whips up the crowd. He is addicted to their response, and they are respond—they are addicted to his um, vitriol. And while he might think that he's just putting on good TV, all you need is one person who doesn't realize that, and one person who thinks it's okay to do this. Someone tried to murder Barack and Michelle Obama, Bill and Hillary Clinton. This is not a coincidence. So now Trump is responsible for any single individual psychopath in the country that takes his words to mean something they're not. Also, did Philippe Reigns forget that just a few weeks ago, Donald Trump Jr. had a white powder sent to his home and his wife opened it and had to go to the hospital? Is that that just not as important to the left as dud bombs being sent to people? I, I guess the answer is yes. We'll get into this more. Stay with me. This morning, America is different. The most extensive plot to kill senior U.S. government officials and prominent Americans in history took place. It targeted two former presidents, their families, cabinet officials, members of Congress, and the free press. The objective, apparently, to snuff out the leading spokespeople for the views of the Democratic Party. It was an attack on reporters, and on democracy itself. People will say you can't blame the president for something a twisted person would do. That is true. The president didn't pack those mail bombs. He didn't grind up the shards of glass intended to maim and kill. But he did something else. He undermined American values and dehumanized those who dare to question his conduct. He ginned up a type of feverish hysteria based on race and religion and political party. And it has the potential to lead to what we saw happen yesterday. And we don't even know if it's over. Uh, Obvious question is, does the president bear some responsibility? Obviously not for the the bomb making or 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 the recipients. uh, But does he bear responsibility for the tone that allowed it? Sure. Sure he does, and it's part of the reason why I never endorsed him, and I, I've never been personally critical of him. 
about, yeah, he does bear responsibility for the divisions. Uh, he has the biggest megaphones. Trump, they say, is not responsible for the bombs, but he is responsible for the bombs. That's the formulation that you get here from the anti-Trump left. That's really what they're saying. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that the reason this happened is Trump. I'm just saying that Trump is one of the reasons this happened. This is why people despise the press. The press deserves to be despised. The press is full of a bunch of self-important crybabies and liars. Obviously not all people. I'm in the press technically, but a whole vast majority fall into that category. And they have completely jumped the shark here. Uh, they're not waiting to find out who's responsible for this. They're not even putting this on conservative ideology or on the right in general. They're going right to the president. This is yet again another attack on the president. Folks, this is Trump derangement syndrome that we are seeing. The president of the United States is responsible for this guy sending bombs to all these people. Why? So, so I just need to understand, the president's not allowed to criticize Barack Obama's presidency, not allowed to make fun of Hillary Clinton, not allowed to say anything nasty about Eric Holder. Or any, is that now the new standard? If President Trump were inciting violence, meaning you should be violent against people, or here are violent acts you should do, then he would be guilty of inciting violence. I know this is the problem with libs. You have to talk to them like they're first graders. Sorry to some of the first graders listening because you're smarter than libs. But that's what you have to do. You have to walk them through this. None other than uh, Mr. Fake Tapper himself over at CNN today tweeted out that in response to Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying that the first thing the media did was blame Trump, he said, that's not the first thing. We evacuated CNN, which is true and terrible. And CNN should not have had to be evacuated because nobody should have ever threatened them. And that's an awful thing. But then he went on to say, no one blames Trump, not one person at CNN. Uh, no, that's not true. And I know what Tapper would do because he likes this game. He'd say no one blames Trump for the bombs. Oh, OK, that's right. No one thinks that Trump was in the West Wing putting together these bombs with his bare hands or whatever. OK, or in the East Wing. No one thinks that was happening. But. They're all saying, including the president of the CNN network, that the environment around all of this is Trump's creation, Trump's fault, and the environment led to the bombing. So, in essence, Trump does have responsibility for it. That is what they are saying. And that's exactly what Mika Brzezinski did, because I think her audience at, CNN, at uh, MSNBC demands it. You know, the intellectual honesty be damned. They simply do not care. It does not matter to them that what they are doing is indefensible that it is wrong on so many levels to talk about divisions in this country as though they're a bad thing and then to in the next breath maybe even in the next sentence maybe even in the same sentence say that those uh that, that the president of the united states is responsible for those divisions is just to create an even bigger problem isn't it I don't like divisions. You're the reason for all the divisions. Fix it. Does that, is that really supposed to work? It's also, it's also completely and utterly bass-ackwards. It is nonsensical. Anyone who has been paying attention would know that the left is the party of mobs and of rage and of viciousness and violence toward those who disagree with them politically. Who stops speakers from coming to college campuses? Is it the left or is it the right? 
Who attacks professors who speak? Is it the left or is it the right? Who has insane mobs beating people up in the streets under the rubric of anti-fascism? Is it the left or the right? By the way, in New York, in D.C., in Portland, in L.A., in Oakland. Go down the list. Who has groups of people burning down neighborhoods in recent years because of alleged or real police violence? Is it the left or the right? Who has insane protesters that show up at a Supreme Court hearing, make a mockery of any sound or reasonable argument, scream at each other, corner people, yell at them, dress as giant condoms, wear silly Halloween costumes to make ridiculous points about modern feminism and slavery. Is it the left or is it the right? Who chases people out of restaurants when they're just trying to have a nice, quiet, calm meal with a family member, with a friend, to have that moment of quiet and basic human decency that we all should be allowed after a long day's work? Who does that? Is it the left or the right. You you know the answers to all these questions and I understand that at some level we are just affirming what we already know but perhaps we all need a reminder of it right now. Uh, a fellow named Nick Monroe who is a freelance journalist had quite a thread today on Twitter. Uh, he pointed out that this past August Chris Cuomo directly advocated, CNN host Chris Cuomo directly advocated for physical violence against bigots. He said all punches are not equal morally, even if it is against the law itself. That's right. CNN has had a host go on air to parse when you can punch somebody for saying things you don't like, because sometimes it's okay. He goes on. Quote, by placing the blame on right-wing outlets, Brian Stelter's overlooking left-wing violence and extremism encouraged by left-wing outlets and leadership, like CNN, that wrote this piece. Quote, unmasking the leftist Antifa movement, activists seek peace through violence. Nick goes on. These violent left-wing mobs were the result of that rhetoric espoused by CNN. Our words do have a ripple effect, but I don't think you fully understand the extent of that. And if you actually did research, Brian Stelter, you'd find that sort of a commonality with all the targets of this, quote, MAGA bomber. Flashback to Obama, June 2008. If they bring a knife to the fight, we bring a gun. But that's a line from a movie, Brian Stelter will probably say in response. Not everybody knows that. Flash forward to 2016. Violence broke out during the election season. But that's not the occasion former Obama made the claims, Brian Stelter. Obama has a history of saying things like, get in their face. So I know who's asked to kick. Get out of the way. Then there's comments about confronting people via Maxine Waters. Do you remember what she said? We actually played that audio for you. And then there's Hillary Clinton said, saying, quote, you cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for. CNN's article didn't bother denouncing any of that, by the way. Then there's Eric Holder saying we kicked them. And then today, CNN ran with a headline that says, quote, nationwide manhunt for serial bomber after Trump's targets. That's right, Trump's targets. These people have no moral standing to wag fingers at us or the president. These journalists 
have polluted public discourse to the point where many of us no longer want to engage, don't feel free or safe to share ideas without consequences, not just professional and reputational, but possibly physical as well. And we've all had enough of it. The left is a mad, wild bunch of crybabies. It's time they be it's time they are forced to own up to that. They can try to put this on our side, but there was nothing like this during the Obama administration. People who say that the Tea Party is like Antifa or Black Lives Matter are morons and they're lying. There was nothing like this under the Obama years, despite the bare knuckle winner take all in your face politics that Obama and Pelosi, especially when they had the House and a supermajority in the Senate, excelled in. We cannot let them to try and steal some false moral high ground here. They don't deserve it. It's not theirs. The president is not responsible for this. Bernie Sanders was not responsible for James Hodgkinson trying to shoot up all the conservative members of Congress he could find. And unlike these bombs, people actually almost imminently died. People were wounded and shot. Steve Scalise had to fight for weeks for his life. How often have you heard about that recently, by the way? I'm assuming not all that often. How much has the letters with rice in which if inhaled, could be every bit as deadly as any pipe bomb. That was sent to Mattis, sent to the Pentagon. How often have you seen that talked about in the media in the last 48 hours? How much attention did they give to a white envelope saying essentially, this is what you deserve, sent to the home of Donald Trump Jr. that his wife actually opened, and then she had to rush to the hospital. Imagine what that ambulance ride must have been like for her. Was that anthrax? Was it ricin? Am I going to live? What will my children think? Who will take care of them? She had to have all those thoughts because of some psycho leftist. Yes, a mail bomb in a mail room is horrific and illegal and wrong. But if we're really going to talk about who's responsible here, maybe we should base it on the facts and not just allow the left this wild speculation to score cheap political points. We need to hold them accountable. We'll be right back. The president is going to continue to point out contrasts of policy between uh, Democrats and Republicans. People absolutely have a choice to make uh, on what they believe in, and it couldn't be clearer. And we're going to see that happen in the next couple of weeks when the elections take place. And the president's going to continue to lay out that case. But at the same time, we're condemning violence and calling on all Americans to come together. There's a, a big difference between uh, comments made and actions taken. The president is certainly not responsible for sending suspicious packages to someone. No more than Bernie Sanders was responsible for a supporter of his shooting up a Republican baseball field. That should be a pretty, a pretty clear line, right? The standard here isn't some big shock. It's not some huge surprise. It's not something that we need to take a step back from and think, hold on a second, how, how, do we, how do we do this? How do we deal with this, right? You are not responsible for what someone else does because of your politics. You may be responsible for violence if you directly incite violence, and that's why even with our First Amendment, there are 
some exceptions for incitement to violence, right? If you're in front of a big crowd and you say, burn down that store across the street, and then they burn down that store, you are morally culpable and, and legally liable for that. That, you know, but, but if you say, I think we should have lower taxes in this country, and then someone hears that and they run down and they light the IRS building on fire, you are not responsible for that. Okay, because if that were the case, think about how that could be abused. Think about the way this would expand the heckler's veto. Think about how that would shut down discussion and debate. Anytime somebody wanted to discredit a political belief or ideology, all they have to do is have one person, yes, that's right, in false flag fashion, act like a complete idiot. It's all they have to do. And then everyone says, oh, see, see that? And this is common, by the way. You see this with, this is a, a continuation of the debate you have with radical Islam. The left will always rush to say that radical Islam is not in any way representative of Islam. And that any jihad or jihadists aren't representative of the broader Islamic faith. They will say that. And then when you respond to them, well, hold on a second. I mean, who are you to... Who are you to declare what is and is not Islamic? Remember, Obama said at the U.N., the future does not belong to those who slander the prophet of Islam. One of the strangest things the U.S. president's ever said in that kind of forum. Uh, But they'll fight you tooth and nail on that one. Meanwhile, if some guy, you know, somewhere who's white named Billy Bob uh, says something mean to somebody and, and says something racist or whatever to someone and commits a hate crime, that one incident is magnified to the, by the media as, oh my gosh, there's, look at all the hate in this country. Look at how hateful we are. There's 320 million of us. One idiot somewhere did something bad, but he's white and male and on the right, so that means that the right has to own this whole thing. Because, because one guy said something racist, because of one racist incident. When is it the exception? When is it the norm? This is a very important perception game that the media engages in all the time. And this is where we can't, we can't give any ground. We do not have a political culture that embraces mob tactics, intimidation, and violence similar to what the left has. We just simply do not. Doesn't matter that this one incident, this one individual has done this. This is being roundly condemned. We, we, there's not a single conservative of any standing anywhere in the country who has said anything other than this is disgusting, this person should spend the rest of his life in prison, uh, or if it's persons, it's probably one guy, but we'll see. But on the left, you'll hear, well, there's no, th- there's no such thing as mobs, really. There's no problem with getting up in people's faces and yelling at them. There's no reason to demand civility when you're dealing with a political party that is so un- uncivil in its ideas, according to people like Hillary Clinton. The left has radicalized. We are the ones who are holding the torch of American values and freedom and Western civilization in this country. They're the ones who are kicking at the load-bearing walls of all of that. Do not forget that for one moment in this debate that we are currently having in this country. Do not let the left get away with its lies. The fight over Kavanaugh is not over. My friends, I've been telling you that this would be the case. Sure enough, here we are. It is not over. If, in fact, the Democrats win back control of the House, it's very likely they will subject this country to a nasty, bare-knuckle 
process of investigation and subpoena and nonsense around it, as as destructive as that would be for whatever integrity is left in the Congress and whatever sense that people have that they can trust these institutions, they may in fact do it. But I would note that is not the only area where you may see some additional movement here. That's not the only place where there could be some follow-on consequences to that obvious and transparent effort to destroy a very good man for political and ideological reasons in front of the whole country, in front of his wife, in front of his kids, and to ruin him forever and to destroy everything that he had ever stood for and accomplished based on not a single bit of corroborating evidence. Nothing. Turns out that there may be some consequences, though, for the other side of this equation. This today from Senator Chuck Grassley, a 12-page letter containing seven separate exhibits that Senator Chuck Grassley has formally referred Michael Avenatti, remember the porn lawyer, uh, porn lawyer, and Julie Swetnick, the woman who claimed the uh, gang rapes were occurring that that uh, Kavanaugh was aware of and, and maybe partaking in. She wasn't sure, but, you know, why not just throw his name in there? Because uh, they've been referred for false statements and deliberate obstruction of a congressional investigation. This is long overdue. Here's how the letter starts. Dear Attorney General Sessions and Director Ray. As you know, the Senate Judiciary Committee recently processed the nomination of Justice Brett Kavanaugh to serve an associate justice in the court, leading to his eventual confirmation. As part of that process, the committee has investigated various allegations. The committee's investigation has involved communicating with numerous individuals claiming to have relevant information. While many of those uh, individuals have provided the committee information in good faith, it unfortunately appears some have not. As explained below, I am writing to refer Mr. Michael Avenatti and Ms. Julie Swetnick for potential um, false statements, for materially false statements in the investigation of Kavanaugh um, made to the committee. Folks, this is going to be very interesting um, because remember what we heard. Remember, we were told at the time, they're going to try to come up with some other, oh, don't drag the victims through the mud again. And they're going to have all these lies and obfuscations because, you know, the left thinks they're never wrong. They have no shame. They never change their mind. They're never wrong. All right. But understand what's really going on here. All right. Understand what's really happening. This now is the first sign we've gotten. And there are seven exhibits in here as well. This is the first sign that we have gotten that they may, in fact, um, have some consequences for those who were part of this smear effort. My friend Sean Davis over at The Federalist has the following, quote, Grassley's criminal referral of Avenatti and Swetnick also contains new evidence that Swetnick has a history of making false rape charges. Under penalty of perjury, an ex-boyfriend says she explicitly threatened to falsely accuse him of rape and have him deported. Grassley has criminally referred Avenatti and Swetnick to the DOJ and FBI for three specific felonies. Conspiracy to defraud the United States. Ah, barring the overbroad, but 
Got to show both sides live under it. Um, favorite tool of Mueller. Materially false statements to federal officials and deliberate obstruction of a federal investigation. Wow. Oh, yes. This needs to happen. I think Grassley is no fool. Grassley is a serious and very powerful guy in the Senate. And this referral is going to be tough to ignore. The Department of Justice is going to have to look into this. And that means, folks, that there could be, unlike the proceeding that the left was so excited to use to try and smear Kavanaugh, which was not a standard criminal proceeding, right? They could not subpoena people. They could not uh, take their uh, phone records. And by the way, there are no phone records to take because the allegations were from 35 years ago or whatever. It was just the whole thing was insane. And I'm so I'm going to say this. I am so proud of what we did here on this show, me and Mike and John, the whole team and all of you supporting me when that was a really difficult couple of weeks, especially in the early days. We knew it was garbage and we held the line. We kept our shields high. Yes, we did. We held the line on this one. And people noticed, by the way, there was a front line on defending Kavanaugh. And we here in the Freedom Hut, we were on that front line publicly in every possible way. I was in contact with the White House team that was trying to get them through the confirmation on a near daily basis. So um, that Grassley is not passing this thing up and saying, okay, you know, we'll let bygones be bygones is the right move. And this could this this will mean that the DOJ now has the ability to pull records. You know, they they might be able to see some communications, perhaps between Swetnick and other people. But, you know, this you, you want to play in this game. You want to try to lie and get somebody ruined and smear them. You're going to sign ridiculous sworn statements with no corroboration that nobody would be able to tell you yes or no. I mean, the whole thing. If they can prove she lied. If they can prove Avenatti was part of a conspiracy for her to lie, they must both be criminally prosecuted. The law either matters or it doesn't. There's really not a lot of room for interpretation here. If they can prove it. Now, there is the possibility that they won't be able to prove that Swetnick lied because her charges were so vague or the statement that she swore was so vague oh i was at a party in the 80s and there were gang rapes and i think maybe kavanaugh was near the punch maybe he wasn't but then again she changed her testimony publicly from what the sworn statement was which is when we all knew that this was not just a fix but an obvious fix right that was when it was clear to anyone paying attention okay this really is too much this person has a problem this person is ill, is sick. So, um, and that's where I think we are now. But if they, they're, they're going to try to do two things on the left now, because by the way, they really don't want, can you imagine if Julie Swetnick faces criminal prosecution for what happened there? What? Then we're supposed to think what? The other two women just, they were the ones that were really attacked, but Julie Swetnick just came out of nowhere to lie. Think about what that does to the narrative. And I am very clear on this one. If you can prove somebody makes a false criminal allegation against anyone, they must suffer consequences because they are doing violence to the truth and they are trying to ruin someone's life. It is an attempted ruination of a human being's life that must be punished. 
Crystal Gale Magnum, I told you this, this was the uh, the stripper who claimed with Mike Nifong, that despicable district attorney down in Durham, uh, North Carolina, that the Duke lacrosse team raped her. It was a complete fabrication, a total lie. But she claimed a guy was raping her who was miles away at an ATM machine, and they had him on video and using his card there. So kind of hard for him to be raping her when he's a few miles away. Uh, complete fabrication. They didn't press charges against her. They did disbar Nifong, and he should have gone to prison for a long time, but they just disbarred him. She went on to kill her boyfriend, stab him to death later on. Maybe she should have actually had to deal with justice. Of course she should have had to deal with justice. Perhaps somebody would be alive today. Not only did Kavanaugh survive and therefore due process survived with him through this process, but if we really do care about truth and decency and justice in our system, if we care about due process and the right to protect your reputation, the right to face the, accu- the to face your accuser, the right not to be destroyed at the political whims of the left for their convenience, then people who lie in order to destroy you under oath must be punished. The left is going to kick and scream over this one because it's a very bad look for them. They know it. Now, will they be able to prove this? I can't say quite yet. Is it clear to me that Swetnick is a liar? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I know she's a liar, not just based on the statement she made, but based on the contradictions of her statement. You know, you don't say, I think someone spiked punch at a party, which, what, what would that even mean? That was such a crazy thing to say in the first place. He's spiking punch. He's drinking the punch. How is he spiking the punch? He's going he's gonna to poison or, or get super drunk all of his male friends too so that they pass out and can't move? Think about that. He didn't, he didn't say spiking a drink, spiking an entire punch bowl that everyone's drinking. Yeah, maybe he was putting alcohol in it so that everybody could have some alcohol. But he, the whole thing, it's just, it, none of it rang true. It was a fabrication out of this woman's mind. She's deranged. She's deranged. I mean, and that's what they're going to say. If, if they really nail her on the lie, the story will be, she's not of sound mind. Let's let this go. She's suffered enough, all that kind of stuff. I'm sorry, no. If she was of sound mind enough to bring these charges and try to put the final nail in Kavanaugh's confirmation coffin, she's of sound mind enough to have to face the consequences of her actions, to have to actually stand up and defend what it was that she was saying and how she was saying it. And she swore something. She swore an affidavit. You know, that either has meaning or it doesn't. So I hope Grassley pushes this and the DOJ needs to investigate this and uh, we'll see how far they're able to able to take it. I, I think that this could end very, very poorly for Avenatti and Swetnick and all of the leftists who were really complicit in this lie to destroy Kavanaugh. You knew it a long time ago, but... When our country is assaulted by thousands and thousands of people marching and they openly say, we're going to go into the country. We can't do that. We can't do that. Can't allow that. Now, I agree with President Trump, and you know that. I think that on the border, on immigration in general, this president speaks a lot of necessary truth. I think that he is finally restoring some sanity to the discussion over our border. And he's got the right, he's got the right ideas overall, including the wall. Here's the problem though. And I'm just keeping it real, just telling you the truth. All right. The issue is 
that this isn't an illegal immigration problem per se. This caravan, which I would note, I think I said to you a few days ago that uh, they're probably just going to start hopping on buses and trains soon. They're not really. We were hearing from all these pundits, oh, it's a thousand miles. They're not going to get there for 90 days. Uh." Well, yeah, that's if they walk the whole way. But if they start hopping on trains and buses, they could be there in four or five days, a week, maybe. You know, you can, you know, uh, even with a pretty slow moving bus, you could cover three, four hundred miles in a day. It's only a thousand miles, not that far. So now they're finding that that's uh, that's going to be the way that some of this caravan at least goes. This is from Fox News. Members of the migrant caravan are finding different ways to reach the U.S.-Mexico border, um, including trains and buses. Here's what happens when they get to the border. There's already a whole a whole effort going on at our southern border by different ACLU type immigration activists and lawyers and others. They're going to be down there and they will pro bono represent people at the border who show up, who claim to be Honduran, uh, you know, claim to be refugees from Honduras. The problem is they're not really claiming to be refugees from Honduras. They're just claiming to be Honduran because there's really nothing that they can prove about when you're talking about a credible fear. It's supposed to be my government is going to kill me if I go back to my country because of who I am, because of what I've done. It's supposed to be for political dissonance. That's what asylum is for. Not, oh, gangs are really bad in my hometown, so I want to be an American now. Think about what that would mean if you expanded this out. How could we deny anyone in Syria asylum in this country? How could we deny anyone in Somalia asylum in this country? How could we deny anyone in, go down the list, plenty of rough countries out there. Plenty of countries where people just would much rather be in America. And I don't blame them for that. That doesn't make them bad people. It makes them human. I understand this is a great country. But if we want to keep this country what it is, meaning a country where rule of law is respected, where we have sovereignty, we, we can't take in everyone. And that's the fundamental principle that the Democrats won't accept and won't adhere to. They want to pretend like we really can take in everyone. And I think in their minds, we should take in everyone. Here's the problem, though, with what Trump is saying about how, you know, he's sending 800 additional soldiers to the border. Remember, the soldiers, because of Posse Comitatus, they're not going to be doing any law enforcement activities in the U.S. interior. They, uh, you know, U.S. military there is providing logistic support, intelligence support. They're helping Border Patrol do the job, but they're not the ones affecting arrests. That's Customs and Border. Well, that's Border Patrol, rather. Um, but when people in this caravan turn themselves in at these ports of entry, they go into the process for asylum. So what that means is they get to tell their story and if and Border Patrol writes it down and tries to verify what they can, or Immigration and Customs Enforcement rather, writes it down and verifies what they can. And then those people, after a pretty short detention, remember you can't hold them longer than 20 days because of the Flores Consent Decree, those people are released into the interior of the United States and told to come back. Now, some of them may come back. A lot of them don't, but some of them may come back. Do you know how? Do you know what the percentage is of those who have been told that they cannot stay in the country? 85%. Do you know what the percentage is of those who have actually been deported from the country? Less than 15%. So, you know, you, you look at these numbers, you say, oh, okay, if you get into the interior of the United States, you're basically free and clear. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you don't actually get asylum. 
And by the way, if you get enough thousands of people going through this process from Honduras, guess what? You're going to even further delay the process. Does anyone really think that we're going to tell 300 people that have been living in the United States from Hond- you know, that came here from Honduras under this program in five years? Yeah, you know what? You can't get asylum, and we're actually packing your bags and putting you on a bus right now or a plane. No, that's not what's going to happen. This is a loophole. They are abusing the law as it is written. And we need to deal with this. We need to change it. Now, I don't just want to say all these bad things and not give you some sense of what could be done to fix this. There are things that the president can do. There are ways that we can, in fact, address this problem. Um, But it will take some time. It's going to take longer than this caravan will take to reach us. And while this issue is bad for the Democrats right now, um, just wait until you have images of women and children at the border crying, detained, separate. You know, that's remember, it looks bad right now because it's just this caravan on the march. And that's what the images are. But the imagery, which is so important to the politics around this, that imagery is going to change. And the imagery is soon going to be look at these people. You know, the, the poor, the meek, the hungry at our border, women and children being treated so terribly by Trump's evil racist government, just like what we saw with this family separation issue. There is, there are a few ways really to address this. I'll talk about those and then also some other stories. And uh, I might even give you the, uh, a, a little bit of a, a taste of the spiciest segment today from Rising, which trust me, it's spicy. Stay with me. Uh, Once they're on this side of the border, what we intend to do, and I think the president's been very clear, if you do not have a legal right to come to this country and you come as part of this caravan and you come in our country, you will be returned home. Okay, that's true. But, 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 they're being coached along the way. They are being told exactly what to say. All they have to do is establish a record and that just means saying it they don't even have to it's it's sort of switched around it used to be that central american immigrants at the border would would uh would lie and say they were mexican because if they were going to be detained and sent back they didn't want to get flown back to central america because they spent a lot of time and money often to get to the border and so they would rather just be released back into mexico if they're central american but now that's changed because of this asylum claim situation and as long as as long as they can um, convince a border patrol agent or a few border patrol agents and the uh, immigration and customs enforcement process that they are from Honduras um, they're going to be part of this asylum deal right they're going to get brought in and let in the interior of the United States and uh, as I've been telling you that's not going to that's just there's never going to be real enforcement all right what can be done about this? I'm not just going to hear, oh, Buck, you know, what are you going to do? The issue, the ultimately, at the 30,000-foot level, Congress needs to change the law so that it is very clear that asylum, is, they need to change the asylum process so that you apply in your, you know, in your country or in the nearest country you can get to at a U.S. embassy and that there is a process. It, it should not be that you just present yourself in this way at a port of entry. Um because you're in walking within walking distance of the United States. That's not that's not the way that this law should be. But uh, 
as importantly, there's something called a safe third part, safe third country agreement. This is why I like to tell you things on the show that you won't hear from other people because I actually read lots of things and do lots of research because if you are kind enough to spend your time with me, I have a mandate to make sure that it is time well spent, team. So the safe third, uh, third country agreement would mean, and we have one with Canada, by the way. So this is not some con- crazy concoction. And we've, we've discussed the possibility of this uh, at the government-to-government level with Mexico. But what it would mean is that we would set up at the border, but on the Mexican side of the border, and we, yes, we would probably have to pay for this. I know it's a buck. They should, they should pay for it. It'll go a lot faster and much more effective if we pay for it. We would set up uh, essentially trailers, you know, uh, a holding facility, something. It's not a detention facility, but it's a, what would be somewhat similar to a uh, refugee camp situation. Uh, it would be a place where people, you know, they have, uh, they're they're able to stay, it's safe, there's water, there's food, um, but it's on the Mexican side of the border. And we would move infrastructure down to the border so that you have at port of entry courts. So you would start, you would move the judicial infrastructure to deal with these immigration cases right down to the border and people that were waiting for their adjudication, pro- so that would speed it up obviously, and people that are waiting for their adjudication process would be on the Mexican side of the U.S. border, which means that they don't, uh, they're not able to just go further and further in the interior United States and get some, you know, immigrant rights lawyer to represent them pro bono to keep suing the federal government and all the rest of it. If their claim is denied, guess what? They they get to stay in Mexico, uh, or the Mexican government then can can hand them off to their country of origin. Right, but that way, you prevent what's happening right now, which is using the legal system. And it's very important that we understand this. They are not illegal immigrants. They may cross illegally. So then they are in the U.S. illegal. But at the moment that they say, I have a credible fear of my safety, these Honduran immigrants go into the asylum process and then their due process allows them to stay in the United States. That is the law. I've talked to senior immigration officials about this. I've talked to lawyers about this. That's how this works. So we need to take action here beyond just we're going to enforce the law at the border. That's great. That's a good start. But if you have this caravan of 7,000 that gets all the way, even if it's only 1,000 that gets to the border, this is going to be, they're going to keep doing this. They're going to keep doing this. It's the best, most effective way to get around the legal immigration system as it stands for non-asylees, non-refugee seekers uh, or refugee uh, individuals. And that's that's what we're facing right now. So I, I just think it's really important that everybody understands really how this is working and what's going on. Um, so we need a third safe country agreement. Um, that would really help with, and the Mexican government had to give it to us. By the way, the Mexican government's also saying that maybe they will take in these Honduran refugees. There's been some discussion there. You know, that's that would be helpful, but it doesn't really solve the problem. The problem is that because of the Obama administration's lax enforcement and because of what they were doing with the laws as they were written, people figured out what the game was, what the scam was, and now they're now they're doing it. So that is more than I think you'll hear from anybody else tonight on what's really happening with the board. And by the way, the cartels are all over this. Cartels are controlling uh, border border access and, and entry and exit in ways that 
most people in this country have just no real uh, understanding of. It's making them millions and millions and millions of dollars. The coyotes are getting rich in this whole process. The coyotes are all controlled by the cartels. Right? When people think of coyotes, I think the, uh, they think, oh, this must just be some guy who does this. No, no. The coyotes work for the cartels. And the cartels break up the individual sectors along the border into being, uh, they call them uh, uh, plazas. So they, they have this breakdown of different cartel control and everything that happens there, there's a tax and obviously they will enforce, uh, they will enforce their control of that area with, with extreme violence when, when they decide to, as the cartels tend to do. So anyway, that's what's really happening with the border. I think you're going to see a lot of people showing up on buses and trains. This issue is going to, it's not going to be two months from now, folks. It's going to be with, you know, it could it be even before election day. Remember, you don't have to have 7,000. If you have 500 people that claim they're Honduran at the border, and because right now there's all these people rushing down there, journalists and lawyers, and, and the imagery is going to be of Trump's, quote, concentration camps at the border, and they think that that could sway things for Election Day. So you've got to remember that just because the issue is a loser for Democrats right now, it doesn't mean it will be in a week. Once they get to the border, the imagery then, the Democrats think, favors them. Just look what happened with family separation this past summer. That little girl who was crying in that photo, and even though the photo wasn't the premise of it, wasn't what people thought, you get, you get what I'm saying. So uh, now we've done some policy. Let's just have some, let's just have uh, some listening enjoyment, shall we? Well, hopefully all of this is enjoyable, team. But we had a uh, very, a very interesting exchange today on Rising with uh, someone that I'm sure you're familiar with uh, from her work these days with Turning Point USA, Miss uh, Candace Owens, and uh, with Crystal, my co-host. And I'm going to come back after this break. I can just tell you this. Uh, it is a fiery, feisty, and not messing around kind of exchange that I will share with you. But you have to just uh, stick around for a moment and we'll be right back. So on Rising, we have a mandate. This is my Hill TV show. We got a mandate and uh, we try to bring both sides of the story. So both left and right perspective into the show and not in a one side is supposed to lose all the time. It's not an easy thing to do. And I'm not even sure the audience necessarily knows what to expect at any given day. It's hard, hard to no, some days it's really collegial. Some days things get a little testy. Well, speaking of days when things get a little testy, uh, we had Candace Owens today, who I'd say I'm, I'm very impressed by, uh, and Crystal Ball, who is my co-host and who is a lovely person and a dear friend. And I wasn't really, I was kind of a spectator, but I've already gotten a bunch of messages from people today talking about how they found this the most interesting clip we've done in a long time. So I uh, I bring you Candace v. Crystal, part one, play clip 18. You said there's zero percent chance. Yeah. I said I'm going to go out and say that there is a zero percent chance that this was sent by conservatives. I find all of these, all the things that are going on, the caravan of illegals, the packages that are being sent, Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation. You think the caravan, too, is organized by Democrats? I find it to be incredibly suspicious timing to know that they are meant to to get to the border um, at, you know, on the day of the election. Again, this is not rude in fact, but you do have to understand I am very much entitled to my opinion. So... Okay, I mean, uh, producer Mike, right? I want to bring you in as an as an impartial observer here. All right. You know, you can tell it's a little 
There's a little bit back and forth, but I mean, mm-hmm. there's nothing too crazy there, right? No, sounds good. Yeah. It's a good conversation. Yeah, yeah it's, it's exactly. It's a guy's a spirited conversation. Right. Then, then things get a little, a uh, little more tense. Play 19. There was another tweet that said, "The Democratic Party is comprised of racist white liberals." That is correct. Am I a racist white liberal? Well, let's go back. Um, and, and let's say, I will say this, that many people in the party don't, are not aware of their own racism. Let's go back to an early part of this conversation where you said to me, are you concerned about the color in the White House? Um, why, why would you ask me that question? Because you speak about black issues. No, but, and wh- I want but why pers- would you, why would you ask me? But let's get to really the nucleus of this. Why did you ask me that question today? Because I'm Why did you say I needed to be concerned about that? Because you, you're bringing a whole group of young African-American okay. leaders to the White okay. House. Okay, so this is something that I talk about often, is that in many ways, white liberals don't realize that you, you put on that, the racism and the, the conversations that so we you're, have So you're are, saying I'm a racist. You haven't let me finish my statement. You keep okay. cutting me off. Go ahead. Okay? The emphasis that you place is always on having a discussion mm-hmm. about race. Okay? You guys are insistent on having a conversation about race and telling us that we should see and implying that we should see race everywhere, and I don't agree with that. If you don't look at me according to the color of my skin, you would simply ask me how I thought that Trump was doing as a president. But instead, you try to drum up a conversation that's surrounded by race. Yeah, I felt like that got a little. It got, look, they weren't yelling; it was civil. But I felt like there was a little bit of tension there, producer Mike. Yeah, definitely. It was fun. I liked watching it, and I liked listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the thing. This is the problem. Whenever, whenever we have a segment like this. And I'm like, well, that's not really the mission of the show. Everyone's like, Buck, shut up. People are fighting. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, but wait, I thought I thought we were in the trust tree. I thought this was the nest. I didn't think right. I didn't think we're all gonna supposed to like, you know, buck slap each other. And I'm not even in it. By the way, there there's more in there where I'm like, okay, because the control room because it kept going beyond what we play there. The control room is like, we gotta go to break, we gotta go to break. And I'm like, okay, we gotta break. Chris was like, no, not done. I was like, damn, okay, here we go. So uh yeah, it was uh, it was spicy. It was spicy. One day We'll get we'll get producer Mike on one of these panels, man. That'd be oh fun. man, Mike, could we do that? Absolutely, we do that, right? Yeah, the bosses would let. It'll never be the same. It'll never be the same again, Buck. I know exactly. Mike slaps. <laughs> Mike slaps will be like neutron bombs, like <laughs> yeah. nothing left living. I'm real quiet and unassuming until I'm not. Yeah, no, no, he's yeah, dude, you're you're feisty. I, I know how the Irish are. I'm I'm like half Irish. <laughs> there you go. I'm one one thousandth Native American, but I'm half Irish. So <laughs> good things. Yep. Yeah, thanks, Mike. See, I, I wanted to make sure that we got producer Mike in with the. With the objective opinion there. Because, you know, for me, it's like, I mean, I obviously ideologically agree with Candace. Um, and and I, I think that she's very talented. and But I also am very, uh, very fond of Crystal, even though I think that her politics are, are um, wrong. <laughs> so, you know, we, we just, it was, it was quite an exchange there. And um, we'll see. Tomorrow... I'll give you a little preview later on in the show of what the expectation is for uh, for tomorrow. There might be, I might be involved in a, uh, shall we say, a more more spirited uh, discussion tomorrow of things. I might be the one that actually has to do a bit of uh, a bit of debating. But we've got, uh, I don't, know, we don't really have time to get to the Papadop Papadopopoulos. It's a fun name to say, but man, that guy's that guy's been treated. Terribly in the circumstances. Well, you know, we, we can actually do a little bit of this. So I interviewed Papadopoulos. We aired this one today. And uh, here's what he said about the notion of Russia collusion. Play 20. George, what is what are your feelings now that it, it has come out, it's been reported here at the Hill, that there was exculpatory evidence based on your conversation with an FBI informant that you weren't trying to do anything wrong, that you opposed any treason or collusion, that that information may not have been presented to the FISA court. What do you think about that? 
Uh, of course, it's, for me, it's uh, it's a very sad. It, it was a, I was impressed with John's reporting, but for me, it was a sad day to see that uh, that was not presented uh, to the FISA court, and that my entire image uh, has been characterized by this false narrative that I am some sort of patient zero uh, about a Russian conspiracy and uh, a Russian uh, collusion conspiracy. When in fact, I have absolutely no Russian contacts whatsoever. Uh, I've never traveled to Russia. I don't speak Russian. I don't even have Russian-American friends uh, in this country. So um, when I found myself at the epicenter of this uh, conspiracy, as somebody who actually has no Russia contacts, something just did not smell right at all to me. George Papadopoulos, who, remember, when, when it looked shaky on Carter Page, who also had nothing to do with collusion or conspiracy or any of this stuff, when it looked shaky at him, they said, oh, no, Papadopoulos... That's how the FBI justified this investigation. That that's It was supposed to be Papadopoulos. I'm telling you, people who believe that Papadopoulos was part of some, of some Kremlin-backed conspiracy will believe anything. They'll believe anything. This is, no normal, rational person could sit down, look at the facts, talk to this guy, and come away with thinking, yeah, that's right, he was trying to throw a presidential election. That is utterly insane utterly insane there's just no rationale to it right other than it it, it explains for some people or, or gives them an outlet for their anti-trump rage and anything that gives them an outlet for anti-trump rage they are in favor of so if someone will tell them that there is a massive conspiracy to undermine the election and everything and they have to believe that this total patsy and i don't mean that in a mean way he seems like a nice guy he only got 14 days in jail but he's got a felony on his record now which stinks. No owning a firearm, no voting, hard to get a job, you know, can't leave the country probably. They usually have uh, travel restrictions he's got. And and also, I, I don't like that when he talks to me about this, there are even restrictions as part of his plea agreement about what he can say publicly. I don't, I don't like that. You should be able to discuss any aspect of your case once you're, once you're through the system. There shouldn't be a gag order on you uh, once your your case has, you know, once you've served your punishment and your case is done, but there was one on him. So it's the, that whole thing was just nuts. I mean, he was testifying today on Capitol Hill, which is why we were uh, talking about him there. But it's the whole thing is just totally and utterly bonkersville. Um, and I don't know how anybody can think where they were a year ago on this, which is, oh, Carter Page and Papadopoulos and blah, blah, blah. No, no. That was wacko. Totally utterly wacko let's talk about megan kelly getting fired what happened that's coming folks don't get caught up in one of those commie corporate coffee brands okay start your day with a delicious cup of freedom it's the way to get fired up and ready to take it to all the libs in your life and by the way once they try black rifle coffee they're also going to know that they've been wrong all this time. They don't need to drink that pajama boy, green soy matcha latte nonsense. They just need a delicious cup of black rifle coffee. It's how I start every morning. And I got to tell you, I distribute my black rifle K-cups all over the office. It's a great way to make friends and bring people into the freedom revolution. You need to join too. Go to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You'll get 15% off your order. Forget whatever coffee you're drinking, okay? Switch it up. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. 15% off your order. You can have it delivered to your door. This is your coffee company. You just don't know it yet. Once you try, though, you will agree. Join the Coffee or Die revolution. Black Rifle Coffee.
So I have some mixed feelings about this one because Megyn Kelly was always pretty nice to me. She always seemed like a nice lady to me. She had me on her show at Fox many, many times. In fact, she was the first primetime host to ever have me on her show and had me on probably more than anyone else did then or since. A couple of Fox hosts have never had me on. It's kind of interesting, but conversation for another time. Um, so I... Uh, I feel like I, I do owe her some degree of professional gratitude. And she was always very pleasant, very, very, uh, very kind to me. That said, the decision that she made uh, to go and uh, try to switch it up, be a, an N NBC, I was going to say MSNBC, be an NBC darling, media darling, was uh, ill-advised. Because she doesn't seem to understand, even though she worked at Fox for years, I, I don't think she had really ever been outside of Fox. She was a correspondent locally, and then Fox picked her up, and then she just rocketed up the ranks at Fox. She, unlike me, for example, I mean, she's obviously much further along in TV than I am, but, you know, I, I worked at CNN for a couple of years. I've been over at MSNBC. I, I've dealt with the uh, media libs. They don't play nice, and they don't forget. And somehow, someone convinced her that if she turned on Roger Ailes and turned her back on Fox and the Fox audience that was very supportive of her and very loyal to her, she would be an even bigger star. You know, the I was going to say the Matt Lauer, uh, female Matt Lauer, but uh, yeah, that whole button under the security, the security feature of the button under your desk that closes the door. And I just want to know, when, when Lauer used to press that button under the door, did Barry White come on in like a disco ball? You know, you know Barry White, I was going to say. Um, so I, that, that whole thing struck me as very um, obvious that Lauer had that thing there. And it struck every, we all know, okay, they just didn't care. The place is disgusting. They didn't want, they didn't want the uh, stories to be run about Harvey Weinstein. And, you know, we, we know what's going, we know the score. Okay. But so Megan goes over there. And this is a lesson, folks. This is a lesson in there is no crossover for uh, for conservatives because you'll, they'll use you to bash conservatives for a little while, and then you'll just be a turncoat and a traitor to your own people, to your own side, and then they'll dispose of you. You know, then you're no longer once they've gotten the maximum they can out of you trashing your own former family. And you're not really worth any of it. Tell me one person that was that was a conservative that has gone on to be a true major mainstream media star and completely turned their back on their doesn't really exist. People say, oh, Chris Matthews. Chris Matthews is a crazy person. I mean, I, I mean, somebody who really, uh, you know, has really been a, a household name at a high level and is relevant. So she went over there. And as you know, I'm not getting into just the, the gossipy stuff here or whatever, but, you know, it's kind of late. It's on a Thursday. We've had a long week. So we're kicking up the feet on the desk your team, having a little relax session. You know, we're just going to chat as the friends that we are. And she went over there. It didn't go very well. It wasn't off to the kind of start that you would have uh, expected for somebody who was getting paid. Producer Mike, what, 20 mil? Do we know? 20 million a year? I mean, she's making, like, LeBron James money. To do a job that, and a $10 million new studio they built for her. So she's making LeBron James money to do a job that 
a lot of other people could do, quite honestly, better than her for about a tenth the money. Uh, in fact, there were, were other people doing the job before her that were getting better ratings and were making a fraction of her salary. And people automa- But executives at these places, these are big public companies, places, you know, NBC and NBC Universal, and they're owned by the big Paramount, I mean, or big uh, parent, not Paramount, parent companies. And, uh, you know, they can, they can determine what the salary is, right? That's because we've got shareholders, public companies, lots of ways to slosh the money around without any producer Mike. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, Mike is saying 69 mil. No, no, Mike. I know that's for now. That's her severance. I meant a year in salary. That's for her full. They're paying out her full contract. That's what that 69 mil is. Um, I'm talking about, you know, the uh, the year to year. So she make a lot of money. Notice they go, ooh, she really worth that? The answer was no. Um. You know, they some of these people get in tight with the corporate structure at these places and they get huge, huge paychecks. But anyway, so then Megan, Megan uh, had a few bumps here and there. I forget exactly what they were, but she oh, she brought up uh, Jane Fonda's plastic surgery, which I didn't realize Jane Fonda would be so sensitive about. But she was and it was kind of a weird thing to bring up in the interview under the circumstances. And that was kind of a bomb for, uh, you know for uh, her to bring up in that way. It just wasn't wasn't smart. And anyway, the latest controversy, which has gotten her ousted, got her booted from NBC, which remember, she gets booted right away for this, folks. You know, special sex dungeon door closed by button under the desk. Matt Lauer guy was there for decades and was the 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 chosen one. I mean, the the uh, face of that network, $20 million plus a year. I think Megan is actually making more like 15, but maybe it was 25 million a year they're paying Lauer. Unbelievable sum of money for a skinny, balding dweeb who was completely replaceable by about 100 different people. But Andy Lack and these people at NBC make decisions. They like Matt Lauer. That's all you have to do. They like you, you're good, you know? That's not about the ratings. It's not about the audience, really. It's what the, it's what the execs think in the... Uh, in the E-suite or the C-suite, the corporate suite. E-suite should be the way it's called. So Megan decided in a segment on Halloween and political correctness, decided to tackle the subject. Well, that was the subject, and, and here's what she... Let's start with what she said that got her in trouble. John, please play said clip. What is racist? Because because so truly, you do get in trouble if you are a white person who puts on yes, blackface yes. on Halloween or a black person who puts on white face yes. for Halloween. Like... Back when I was a kid, that was okay as long as you were dressing up as like a character. There was a controversy on The Real Housewives of New York with Luann as she dresses Diana Ross and she made her skin look darker than it really is. And people said that that was racist. And I don't know. I felt like who doesn't love Diana Ross? She wants to look like Diana Ross for one day. I I don't know how like that got racist on Halloween. So she didn't say anything racist. What she said was that she doesn't think that people necessarily dressing in costume when they darken their skin to be in costume should be considered racist. Now, you can agree or disagree with her. I would note that a lot of you probably like the movie Tropic Thunder. I think it's a very funny movie. I think the best part of the movie is, uh, what's his name? Morton Downey Jr., right? The guy who plays Iron Man, isn't that his name? Or William, what's his name again? You guys leave me out here to dry. Well, what is his name, John? Yeah, Robert Downey. Robert, Jr. not Morton. Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. Morton. Is, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. So, so he uh, 
you know, he he was in blackface in that show. I mean, in that uh, movie, he was. He was straight up in black. He was pretending to be a black man in blackface. And they make fun of it during the movie, and it works, and everyone thinks pretty much it's a funny movie. You know, there was no picketing. There were no people freaking out about it, at least not really. And uh, the movie did pretty well, actually. So there are situations in which culturally blackface has not been deemed to be uh, insulting and racist. Right? I, I just named one. Now, I also can understand why, given the history of uh, slavery and segregation in this country and the way people used to dress in blackface and in, in, in mockery, <clears throat> excuse me, in mockery, uh, that that would be offensive to some people. I, I get that. I'm, I'm not. But I'm just saying that she is not even really taking a definitive declarative position on all this. She's just trying to have the conversation. But because she veered away from blackface under any and all circumstances is racist, is wrong, is terrible, or really any darkening of the skin as part of a costume is racist and wrong and terrible. NBC just, I mean, they had different anchors coming after. NBC just fed her to the wolves on this one. And then that led to this, which I always find so depressing and and the whole thing is always so sad the soviet style show trial forced apology um here is what she said in an effort obviously to keep her job one that was doomed to fail before she even went on the air please play her apology everyone and welcome to the show i'm megan kelly and i want to begin with two words i'm sorry you may have heard that yesterday we had a discussion here about political correctness and halloween costumes and that conversation turned to whether it is ever okay for a person of one race to dress up as another. A black person making their face lighter or a white person making theirs darker to make a costume complete. I defended the idea, saying as long as it, as it was respectful and part of a Halloween costume, it seemed okay. Well, I was wrong, and I am sorry. One of the great parts of sitting in this chair each day is getting to discuss different points of view. Sometimes I talk and sometimes I listen. And yesterday I learned. I learned that given the history of blackface being used in awful ways by racists in this country, it is not okay for that to be part of any costume, Halloween or otherwise. Now, I could have told her, if Megan had called me up, and I have a little bit of a soft spot for her because she used to be nice to me when I was starting my career and had me on her show and used to tell me that I was very talented and had a huge future and that I was amazing when I filled in for Rush Limbaugh and I was, you know, her favorite of all the Rush Limbaugh fill-ins. And, and, you know, so so I have a secret soft spot, maybe not so secret anymore, for Megan Kelly. I'm just going to be honest about that, okay? I do. Even though I think that she turned on her people and made a horrible decision by going to NBC and was ungrateful for the position she had at Fox and all that. Okay, fine. I would have advised her because I understand how this game is played now because I have to deal with it from both sides and no one's paying me tens of millions of dollars, not even anything in the universe of that to do this kind of work, that once you're in this kind of a jam, you can't, you can't take the, oh my gosh, I throw myself on the mercy of the politically correct court. Oh my gosh, please, please, just, just let me keep my job. I'm so, so sorry. I'm so, so sorry because there has been a a very clear shift where now when you upset the PC police, now when the social justice warriors come for you, you have two choices. Fight and go down fighting or endure ritualized apology humiliation and then let them take your head. Those are the choices. 
That's it. And maybe you win the fight, by the way. Maybe you're able to defend yourself and and see it through. But I promise you, if you do the, oh my gosh, mea culpa, I'm so sorry, I'm so terrible, I should never have thought such a thing, never done, then they just go, see? It's like, that's why I said it's a Soviet show trial. This is, you know, you've, you've signed your confession. Now you're definitely guilty. Now they definitely have to destroy you. Now they absolutely have to ruin you. And they will. How Megan did not know that is, I don't know, beyond me. She should have known that. She absolutely should have been aware that they wanted to get rid of her anyway. Her show's ratings were not strong. The NBC audience was not warming to her. She's not a morning show host. This was not her skill. Oh, and I know you don't really care about all that, but the politically correct part of this, the social justice warrior aspect of this and how she came up against them, it's a reminder to all of us. When you have erred, unless you feel a personal moral obligation to apologize to an individual, you don't apologize. Do not apologize to the mob. Do not say, you know, unless you truly believe that you have erred, don't think you will appease the mob. Unless you have transgressed in your own mind, unless your own honor necessitates apology, and then you'll just deal with the consequences. But do not think that this is now the penance is the apology. Oh, no, no, no. The apology is the noose that they will hang you with. That's how this works. The apology is signing your own confession in the court so they can lock you away in the gulag. That's how this works. Uh, And I I just wish, I, I don't know who is advising her, but it was not the right move. It was not the right move. All right, we'll have right. We'll have much more teams. Stay with me. There's so much nonsense going on in social media these days. There's shadow banning. There's conversational health initiatives. The PC police are out in full force online. You don't want to get caught up in that nonsense. So what can you do? Where can you go? Oh, that's right. We've already got a refuge from the PC police. Snippy.com. Snippy.com is a new social media platform where you do not have to worry about anybody telling you what to say or how to say it. There's not some algorithm that's skewing the conversation toward the left. They are all about letting your voice be heard and making sure that you feel like you have a platform to express ideas because your thoughts are important and you don't need a nanny for them. All right. You don't need Facebook or any of that nonsense weighing in. Snippy.com, S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. Totally free to join, free to post. The whole thing's free. Just check it out for yourself. Snippy.com. To say there is no connection between what Trump has said about Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Eric Holder, John Brennan, and CNN, and the thinking of the person who sent those pipe bombs is foolhardy. We're about to mark Halloween, and one of our great traditions it is because it's all about saying boo of giving someone a little fright so they can enjoy the moment of relief that follows the realization it wasn't real. Sending pipe bombs isn't saying boo. It's political terrorism. Saying that people are evil isn't saying you disagree with them. It's saying we would be better off without them. The means don't justify the the ends. If the means are stirring up attempted pipe bombings of the people, you're demeaning. One parallel with the the 30s of the last century is that this, the words precede the action. I, I'm not sure. I, don't, I can't 
I don't know why they keep this guy on TV. I'm not sure if he's the dumbest anchor on television, but he's definitely up there. Definitely close. Um, and, you know, the, the, this this chorus of people, um, and uh, some of you may have seen when I was on a special report earlier tonight on Fox News, which you can uh, still go check out online if you want. I'll, I'll put the clip up on Facebook. Uh, I, I, I reject, I'm sorry, I reject out of hand this this notion that there is equal blame on both sides. Yeah, there's blame on both sides, but there's not equal blame on both sides for the political climate in this country. Uh, Trump making fun of journalists who are the most pompous, preening, overpaid, annoying people on the planet, as far as I am concerned. Trump making fun of them is not tantamount to a fascist state. Meanwhile, people reporting who are supposed to be serious journalists reporting on the existence of a creeping fascism because of Trump, they are doing very real damage uh, to our ability to have any kind of political discussion in this country. And they're obviously enhancing the likelihood of there being ugly incidents with all the stuff that we hear going on. So I, I just I refuse to play along the way that they want and say, yeah, you know what? All sides have a problem here. How would Trump even this is something I want to I want to leave you with on this. And then we got to talk about Hillary in a moment here. Get ready for it. It's coming. How could Trump even comply with what they are saying here? Let's say Trump came out and said, I won't use enemy of the people anymore for the media. I won't say that anymore. Do you think that then they'd say, oh, OK, that's reasonable. Yeah, you know, Trump's toning down the rhetoric. I guess he's not such a bad guy after all. I, you know, I, I guess I guess we got to let it. You know, they wouldn't do that. You know, that's not what would happen. That's not what they would say. They would say, oh, that's not even a start to this. Oh, he's so terrible. They just want to hate him. They don't really want him to change his behavior. Even if he did change his behavior, it wouldn't really matter to them. It wouldn't matter. So um, I would just note that. By the way, you know, one, one little side note I'll throw in there. I've never really cooked bone-in pork chop before. And this weekend, I'm hoping to uh, actually give it a try. I went to a butcher, a specialty butcher, and got a couple of big, thick, bone-in pork chops. I'm going to make a little spiced rub for them, marinate them overnight, try to sear them in my cast iron. I miss talking to you all about my culinary adventures. It's been a while since I feel and I haven't had the time to cook recently. So this is the, I'm going to try to bring this back because one of those things that when it's done right, I just think it's so incredible, is a seared, a seared bone-in pork chop is something special. As you can tell, I haven't eaten yet, and I'm doing this radio show, and I am quite hungry. So that's what got me <laughs> my mind. My mind shifted to pork chop land because I'm starving, and it's been a long day. Um, but we do have to talk about Hillary coming up here, and then roll call, and then maybe I'll get to searing myself a pork chop. So much more important stuff coming up. Stay with me, team. Team, what can I do that will uh, brighten up your day a little bit? It's been a tough week for America, right? No question about it. The market's been getting battered. Obviously, we've got these uh, bombs getting sent all over the country. People are being nasty to each other. There's mobs everywhere and all that stuff, right? What could I do that will just bring it all home and make us remember, you know what? It's all going to be okay. Um, well, what if I told you that Chelsea Clinton's thinking about running for political office. Ah, you see what I did there? That's right. I got you ready for one thing, and then I pulled out another. Hello, part two, Chelsea. 
She is thinking about it, which means she's going to do it. She's going to do it, folks. She was talking to the Journal News at a stop on the tour for her new children's book, Start Now. You can make a difference. Just just try to, you know, she, she really needs more cash. She lives in a $10 million apartment in New York. Her mom's worth $100 million. Her husband is a hedge fund guy. But, you know, what, what, whatever kind of cash grab she can get going, that's right, having children's books ghostwritten for her. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's amazing. She said, Chelsea said, quote, I think if someone were to step down or retire and I thought I could do a good job and it matched my talents, I'd have to think if it's the right choice for me. She added she doesn't have any plans to run for office, but it's something I think about as I hope every young person thinks about. It. First of all, no, I do not want put put aside Chelsea Clinton for a second here. Why put aside uh, Chelsea and just know that not every person, not every person should be thinking about running for office at all. OK, there's there's a really very limited number of people that have the kind of uh, thick skin temperament, self-aggrandizing attitude. And yes, that feel called to serve. But increasingly, I think politicians are mostly megalomaniacs. Um, th- there's an increasingly small number of people, I think, that really should do this. And I think that everybody should. This is where I want to talk about term limits. I mean, this is just this notion that we have the political class that we do and they just stay in power forever is because the system is set up so the people that determine what the system is stay in power. But maybe the conversation about term limits will have to wait for another time. I just think that that Chelsea Clinton, the notion that somebody would want to vote for this person who's never had a real job uh, and who was thought of, let's not forget, according to even some leaked emails, was thought of very poorly at the, uh, you know, the foundation, the Bill and Hillary and Chelsea Clinton Foundation, where she was supposed to be a a boss and a figurehead at the same time. Uh, she was not well regarded there. Uh, people thought that she acted kind of like the bratty boss's daughter, which is what she was. And, I, you know, this is one problem we're going to have on the right now. And I don't want to get too deep into this, but we one thing that we have given up is. For for quite a while, we're not going to be able to complain about nepotism. We're just not not with any not without being as hypocritical as the left is. So uh, and I'm not saying that this is the end of the world. I'm not saying it's a huge deal. But just understand that when they try to put forward Chelsea Clinton and they will, there's because the Clinton it's it's the Clinton name, the Clinton brand is still so well known. And by so many Democrats, despite what they'll say about Hillary behind closed doors, uh, they still think of the Clintons as a Kennedy-esque dynasty. They really do. And Chelsea doesn't have any of the baggage of Bill or Hillary. Baggage. I don't have baggage. I just, you know, I like to say hi to ladies. Uh, doesn't have any of that. So they're going to trot her out. And people like me will say she has no record of any accomplishment. She's a brat. She's never had a real job. And, and likes to go and give lectures. What is she giving people lectures on? What is she going to give speeches on? Having jobs that she's been given because of who her parents are, you know, the the, the struggle is real being a uh, political celebrity and incredibly, you know, be incredibly wealthy to have people throw thirty thousand dollars at you for a speech when you're not even good at public speaking. That's what she has. I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to just give a real assessment of the situation. Uh, and I'm telling you, she's going to run. So if you think that we've had the end of talking about Hillary Clinton and the Clinton dynasty 
And I know I said that this was gonna this was meant to cheer you up, but I, I guess you could say head fake yo, because obviously this is uh, going to upset some of you. Um, not really, but it's it's a little annoying. But we'll be fine though. It'll give us something else to make fun of, and we can always play those clips from when she was paid seven hundred thousand dollars for fifteen minutes of work at NBC, because that wasn't just buying access. Yeah, right. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call. Yes, indeed. Team, you are my sanity. I am down here in the swamp, and this show is when I finally get to connect with like-minded, sane patriots across the country. And also, I, I get to, you know, throw up the throw up the bat signal here and say, let's hear from some of you, because I start to walk around here and it's like I'm taking crazy pills, really. So many people in the swamp just buy into all this nonsense about Trump and about just everything. It's it's so much more apparent here in New York City, at least. It's very liberal, but there's a lot of stuff going on here. This this is a politics town. You're around it all the time. It's everywhere. It's all it's all day, every day. And it's 90 percent plus Democrat by political affiliation. So just imagine living in a town full of nothing but or, or a whole city of half a million MSNBC viewers, which is, no, actually, I can't make fun of MSNBC's viewers. They've got a fair amount during prime time now. Uh, but just imagine living in that town, and that's what D.C. is now. Yeah, I know. None of you are moving here anytime soon. All right, Robert writes, I think this recent horrible scare is a setup complete with a fall guy, an unknowing patsy soon to be arrested by NYC officials, maybe a week before the election. Well, Robert, I think that we're probably not going to find this guy until... Uh, right after the election, or we'll find him. Bombers are always a him. Uh, we'll find him before the election, and we won't know what his political affiliation is, or really what his, um, you know, what what game he was playing here, so to speak. Like what was the purpose of all this until after the election? So that way, people can impute whatever they want from this whole scenario. I, I see that being a very, a very distinct possibility here. Uh, TJ writes, wow, that segment between Candace Owens and Crystal this morning on Rising was pure gold, Buck. I know you were trying to keep the situation under control and on time, but I'm glad you let it go on. It was refreshing to see Candace do exactly what the left tries to do to us every time. Isn't that hypocritical of me? Maybe. Does it help to see the left? Uh, does it help the left see the folly of their ways? Probably not. Did it make for great TV? Most definitely. Need more segments like that on Rising. That was awesome. TJ. Well, TJ, uh, <laughs> it was it was spicy. I can say that it was spicy. And um, I, I, I think uh, I think Candace Owens is very talented. I had her. She remembered, by the way, she was very sweet. She remembered that before she was anywhere near as well known. I had her. Those of you who have been listeners on this show know that I had her as a guest I want to say almost 18 months ago when she was doing a show on YouTube called Red Pill Black. And now she is hanging out at the White House and uh, communing with Kanye on the weekend. So, you know, that's uh, that's just how this business works. But she remembered and she was very gracious about it. Obviously, her and Crystal are both true believers. And Crystal is a dear friend. And I disagree with Crystal on pretty much everything in politics. Um, but she's a dear friend. And they, those two ladies, wanted to 
They wanted to, you know, have it out right then and there. If you haven't seen it, folks, Hill, Hill.TV, and you can go right to this one segment. I've also uh, retweeted a link to part of the segment, but if you want to see the whole thing, it went on for about 12 minutes, and the last four or five minutes were, um, were it got real. It got real. That's all I can say. It, it really did. So I know some of you don't necessarily... Uh, like the format of a left-right show, so I don't push it that often on, on this show. But if you want to see Candace Owens and Crystal Ball just throw down, because that's what it was a throwdown, um, go to hill.tv slash rising, and you can click on it, and you'll uh, it, it, it's worth a watch. I, have, I haven't seen a, a cable news uh, cage match fight like that in quite a while. So there you have it. Uh, okay. Erwin writes, I would think that one of the things that we could do with these invaders before they get to our border is pre-position all the materials necessary to build a tent city. I mean, living quarters, shower facilities, mess facilities, porta potties, food, water, bedding, clothing, everything. Have the grounds all staked out and ready for construction and bring in Sheriff Joe to supervise the whole thing. Along with all this, we should bring in 10 or 20 functional FEMA trailers that can be used as temporary courtrooms that have all the judges already there to adjudicate any claims and uh, for sanctuary status right there. None of this come back or three in three or four years for a hearing bullcrap. Erwin, uh, you know, you're, you're actually much more solution oriented than a lot of other people who think they are on this issue, because the problem is not that we don't have enough people to catch people at the border from this caravan. The problem is that they will turn themselves in and claim false asylum. That's what they will do. Right. So it's not this isn't, oh, we need more people to catch them. I don't think I don't think everybody really, really gets that part of this. Yes, they may be initially prosecuted for illegal entry if they don't show at a port of entry, if they just try to cross the border. But think about the the value proposition from their side. If you get close to the U.S.-Mexico border and you're a Honduran as part of this caravan, you can either just try to sneak in the United States free and clear, or if you get caught, then you say, oh, well, I'm claiming asylum. Defensive asylum is what they call it. I'm, I'm, I need an asylum claim. You will still get processed for the illegal entry, but that's a misdemeanor. And they're not going to deport you for that until you've had your asylum hearing. So you really get two shots to stay in the U.S. under the system as it is now. And we do need a much speedier process. Uh, but keep in mind, how do you even hear these asylees properly? Uh, they're not providing any doc, any specific documentation of a threat against them. They just tell a story. And the question is, is their story compelling? So but Erwin, you're, you're at least thinking about this in the right way, which is that if we had a, a a setup at the border where it was essentially, you know, when they have the uh, producer, Mike knows about this. They got the uh, courthouse under the. The Eagles, where the Eagles play, you know, the football stadium, they have a courthouse in the stadium for all the drunken brawls. So they take you right down there and, you know, you get justice dispensed right away. You get your fine or you go to jail or whatever. So it's sort of like that at the border would be what uh, what you could do. So, Erwin, you're, you're on the right track, my friend. Brian writes, Buck, still laughing out loud about you trying to mediate discussion on the heated topic between Crystal and Candace. We are actually well beyond time. Candace did an incredible job holding her ground. Oh, to be a fly on the wall pre and post that segment. Look, Candace is fierce. No, there's no two ways about it. I mean, she 
you know, you can come at her with with everything you got. And I'll tell you, look, Crystal from the left is also very tenacious. So it was quite I could tell a lot of you that uh, saw this today. It was quite a thing. It was quite a thing that uh, that happened. Uh, By the way, there's a rumor that Jenk Uyghur from the Young Turks may be there tomorrow. And while I'm not planning to be in any way um, disrespectful or aggressive, uh, I have a feeling we will disagree profusely on some issues. I have a feeling that could very well happen. So we will see. Uh, Josh, Buck, I want to thank you for brightening my day after a long, stressful day. It's nice to listen in on the drive home to your accurate depiction of Hillary Clinton's cackle. Well, thank you. After 10 years in the intelligence-related field, I got out disillusioned in part because of Hillary Clinton. When I hear you... uh, impersonate hillary i can't help but smile and chuckle and it makes me feel a little bit better about the world and the country and that at least some of us understand who these people really are from josh um uh, josh I'm, I'm glad that i can bring a little levity into things and uh just just remember that hillary misses you so there you go I'm not my it sounds hillary sounds a little bit more like jar jar binks these days if i'm really going to be fair to the, the truth here uh, Brittany writes in podcast listener just wanted to put in my two cents I've never had a problem with your podcast they sound perfect on my end maybe it's their iPhone I love you shields high Brittany I love you too and the adorable photo of your baby you have up here on Facebook uh, who looks very very precious so thank you so much for writing in I'm glad that you have a um, uh, an easy time listening to the podcast and like I said guys most nights we're getting the podcast out early 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 um, because in some places the show is on a little bit of a delay in the, uh, in the local market on the, on the affiliate. So as soon as we can, we get that podcast up. So you should be able, most of you should be able to listen to this, uh, this show in full on your way home from work these days. If you're on the West coast, 100%. And, uh, beyond that, um, you know, we're getting closer and closer. Hopefully before dinner time, you can listen to the whole, the whole show. Robin writes, you probably can't comment on this, but what has happened to S.E. Cup? I am truly concerned. We need a no man left behind policy for our conservative pundits who decide to work at CNN, uh, a find and extract plan for when they approach the Kool-Aid. It sudden, suddenly occurred to me who your friends at CNN are that were urging you to tone down your rhetoric. So sad. Uh, well, Robin, a couple of things. Uh, S.E. is a dear friend and I have uh, nothing but positive things to say about her and wish her nothing but the best in everything that she's doing because uh, personal loyalty and honor and friendship come before the debate for me. You know what I mean? That's that's just the way that it is. And uh, is a, a great lady and very, very talented. Uh, as to anyone telling me to tone down my rhetoric, oh, no, it was never SC. She she wouldn't do that. Uh, it was other people. It was actually a pretty prominent anchor at CNN. A, a couple of pretty prominent anchors at CNN have told me to uh, reach out to me to tell me to tone it down. And I, I think to my credit, refrained from pulling an Acosta and writing back something profane in response, which I definitely thought about. But I, I try to one day, folks, I may let it slip with uh, not on this show, obviously, but, uh, you know, I may let it slip on Twitter or something to one of the CNN anchors, how I uh, really think about them with some colorful language. But I'll try not to. I just I can't make any promises, but I'll try. I'll try not to. Uh, Jason writes, Buck, buddy, on Monday's show, you said that Stacey Abrams might win here in Georgia. I'm telling you, she doesn't stand a chance. She's already maxed out the maximum for Democrat support in the state. She's been lying about voter suppression here. So when she loses, she has an excuse. As long as Republicans show up, she's toast. Early voting is being led by the GOP. 
Jason, I, man, I hope you're right. So I and I'm not a Georgia electoral expert or election expert. I'm just, you know, I'm just re, I'm just seeing what I read. We're reading what I see or all of that stuff. Uh, so, yes, indeed. Um, anyway, team. Uh, oh, wait, I got I got time for uh, for one more here. Jen writes, so I've had a thought with visa refugees coming through. Why don't we just do exactly what Mexico's doing um, and how poor women and children on the way to Canada's border? I'm sure Trudeau would love them. That's an interesting point. We could ask them if they want to go all the way up to Mexico, Jen. That's going to be for today's show, team. Going to have a fantastic one tomorrow. Shields high.